Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling. I'm Naomi Meller, and you're listening to the podcast that tells the stories of women with interesting, unusual, and inspiring careers. So the idea of sailing a yacht around the world to me drums up an image of relaxing with my bikini on, cocktail in hand, whilst flying fish or dolphins are frolicking at the side of the boat. The reality of round-the-world ocean racing is somewhat different, though. Although I'm sure the wildlife encounters can be pretty special, and there are no doubt some spectacular sunsets, Yachts will sail 24-7 during their legs at sea, and the Volvo Ocean Race is well known to be one of the toughest sporting events in the world. It is certainly the longest, and involves nine months at sea, with enormous physical and mental human challenge and a battle against the elements every single day. Yacht racing is also one of the few sports where men and women compete alongside one another. The playing field is allegedly level, but more of that later. My guest today is Abby Ela, now veteran of three Volvo Ocean races, including this year's voyage, where she was part of Team Brunel that placed third overall after a gruelling nine months of sailing. Abby was previously the boat captain for Team SCA, the first all-female team to compete for over 12 years when they took part in the Volvo Ocean race of 2014-2015. Over 250 women applied for 15 spots on that boat, so clearly there is an appetite for women to compete at the very highest levels within the sport. Off the back of Team SCA, the Magenta Project was founded to promote and encourage women at the top end of sailing. Abby is now their Director of Media and Events, in addition to being a mum to her son and racing regularly both at home and abroad. We began at the very beginning though, and I asked Abby how she initially got into sailing. Um, I guess it all started off with my parents. They were pretty keen sailors on a a social front, Um, nothing too racy. But they were really keen for me to get involved in the sport. And I guess I was about six years old when I first went sailing with my dad in a little wooden mirror dinghy. And um, the sport really stuck with me. And I, I loved just mucking around in, in boats. And I competed a lot all through school um, and and really all the way to university. I think I, I mitched off quite a bit of university to go and do <laughs> cool races such as um, – the Sydney Hobart race down in Australia, which I had a chance to do. Um, so yeah, I think I, I took way too much time off university to, um, to go sailing, <laughs> but, um, and then, yeah, it kind of just rolled into becoming a, a job when I left university and yeah. <laughs> and here we are now. <laughs> and there we are now. So making a step to becoming a professional sailor, if you've kind of done enough sort of sailing, you know, whilst you're at university and school and things like that, is that quite a, straightforward step or is that it was that a big leap for you to say this is what I'm going to do to make money and be my profession it it was never a consensive sort of decision that this is what I'm going to do it was more of a I came out of university not knowing what I was going to do Um, I was actually pretty keen on joining the army I just liked the idea of um being outside and um being challenged and um I didn't get through uh, and that kind of left me in a bit of a hole with like, well, what am I going to do? So I had studied sports at university and I was obviously a really keen sailor and doing a lot of sailing at the time. And I had the opportunity, opportunity to join a boat to work as an assistant skipper. And that was traveling to the States, to Australia. And it kind of just then progressed from there. So um, it it naturally just one opportunity fed to another, Uh, competed in my first round the world race when I was about 24 years old. And yeah, 
that became my life and I certainly don't regret any of it but it was a sort of a natural pathway. So could you explain to us the difference between the Volvo Ocean Race and any other round the world yacht races for us Abby? Yeah, so there there are quite a few round the world races. Um, the Volvo Ocean Race is a fully professional, fully crewed race. Um, so it's kind of the only one of its kind where, yeah, you take into effect it's a professional race and it's fully crewed. There are other races um, such as the Vendée Globe, which is a single-handed race, and that's a nonsense race. And um, then there's the more amateur-style race, which is the Clipper Round the World race, where people pay um, to take on that adventure and that opportunity. So, yeah, so I competed in the Volvo Ocean Race back in 2001 with an all-girls team, and then again in 2014. So it was a bit of a a long gap, but um, there were slightly limited opportunities for women to compete in that race. Abby, you were the boat captain on board the Team SCA boat and more recently for Team Brunel in this year's race. I naively thought that being the boat captain meant that you'd be in charge, but that's actually the skipper. So could you just explain a little about what you do as boat captain? Yeah, so boat captain is basically someone who's responsible for the upkeep and the maintenance of the yacht. If you can imagine that you you, you head to sea on some of these legs for about 25 to 30 days at sea, and during that time, I mean, things will break. It's uh, just the nature of the sport. You need to be able to fix them. So um, it's a very fine balance before you head off um, to take the right amount of spares with you because you're obviously trying to be quite weight conscious. Um, and so, yeah, part of your role is to pack the boat before you leave in terms of what tools you need, what spare parts. Um, and then once you're at sea, it's an active role, uh, checking for damage, checking for any wear and tear, maintaining all the systems on board, whether that be hydraulics or engine or running rigging. So, yeah, it definitely uh, is a very um, sort of mechanical role, if you like. I was going to say, actually, it sounds like you're basically the sort of boat engineer. <laughs> is, that, is that something you've just kind of picked up as you've gone along or do you have... Do you get formal training in that? Because it sounds like on a massive ocean-going yacht, that could be pretty complicated. I think um, for me personally, I, I have learned on the trade as, as I've gone. I think these days there are a lot more structured courses around hydraulics or engineering or running rigging. And it's a lot easier to sort of um, gain some formal qualifications. But um, for this type of sailing, I mean, it, it's it's really about you and about knowing the boats and every boat is different so you might know one system but then this boat's got a different system so it really comes down to just your everyone's individual skills and and as a boat captain it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be able to do everything yourself but it's having that overview and the management and um being able to delegate certain areas off to to other members of the team Ah, and you said that there was quite a long gap between 2001 and 2014. Can you, is, is, is there any reasons behind that? Or do you feel that there was um, just, you said the lack of opportunities. That's, is that something that has been a problem in that, that sort of racing? Yeah, I think um, the, there had been quite a few uh, women's campaigns prior to the 2001 race. Um, but it was still back then 
still viewed very much as a a second rate team you know a bit of a token but I think for me that was the first race I did and I was just lapping it up amazing experience but it was a real struggle to sort of get the support from our shore team um we were shared with a an all all guys team and so it was a little bit of a battle at times support that the team needed and um and I guess, yeah, we didn't do very well in the results. I think a lot of it comes down to experience and not having the the experience um, compared to our competitors who are predominantly men and have done this race, you know, two or three or four or five times before. And so after that uh, 2001, 2002 race, the boats changed in design and became very much more of a beast to sail uh, which meant they were very physical and um, required, you know, a lot of skill. And so it really wasn't suited um, for women. And it just, it kind of really just closed down the opportunities. So it wasn't really in 2014 with a rule change, uh, which changed the design of the boat to make it um, a one design boat. So every team had the same same boat. There was nothing different. But it was just a little less... Um, hair raising if you like <laughs> and they had in the race before was that a lot of the boats weren't actually getting to the finish line because stuff was breaking oh God. um so the idea of having this, this one design was that it was a boat that they knew was going to get around the world <laughs> in the conditions um and yeah it, it opened the door for a women's team which was fantastic it was and um I've read that there has been a rule change for it was for sort of 2017 2018 about the numbers of females crew um obviously you don't speak for the whole of you know every woman in the sailing industry but has there been a kind of general feeling about whether that's max of a quota or whether it's a positive move how has that been received in general do you think yeah I think if we sort of turn back the clock to when the rule was brought in there was a lot of pushback from uh the the guys who are sort of are dominant in this race um, I think they thought that the standard was going to drop, um, that it just wouldn't work living in such close confinements with, you know, men and women in the same environment. Um, I think over time they kind of realised that the rule was there, so they just needed to try and use the rule to the best uh, they could. Yeah. Uh, which meant most teams were could take two women on board to give them a full complement of, of nine sailors. And um, by, I think each team has had a very different um, experience. Uh, some girls have been very involved in, in the teams and have had, um, you know, uh, roles that are, uh, you know, quite, yeah, respons- they've had responsibility on board. Some of the younger girls who are coming through, and this will be their first race experience, um, there was a lot of feeling that they hadn't been fully allowed to sort of flourish on board and, you know, given the opportunity to to learn an area. Um, it was almost like they'd just been slotted into that, that role. That's what you're going to do. But despite that, I mean, having said that, a lot of those girls have said despite feeling that they were perhaps a little restrained on board and in their roles, the experience that they've had and, and the actual fact that they've had that opportunity to compete has been invaluable. And 
is and speaking to some of them post-race is that they've realized how much now they've learned just by listening by watching and and you know how much they're able to use now in their sailing campaigns that is very valuable isn't it and did every boat uh take up the possibility of taking women or were there anybody who persisted with having male only crews there was one team at the beginning which was pretty persistent about not <laughs> them um yeah I think there was a lot of song and dance made about it and they suddenly realized that there was no way you're going to be able to sell these boats competitively with just seven on board uh-huh. and so yeah um two women were brought on one of whom was a navigator and uh yeah the team went on to win one leg came second in another leg and and yeah had some really great results throughout the race so I think although there was a lot of sort of pigeons to begin with it all certainly came came good in the end so how long are you away for altogether on that sort of race um the race in total is nine months we visited 11 ports around the world uh, and generally, the length of the legs could be anywhere between a short sprint of about three to four days at sea, and the longest leg was about 25 days at sea. Crikey, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, you might be lucky to get sort of a week um, or four or five days off when you get in just to recover, um, and you'll be back to work and doing uh, some import racing, corporate ra- you know, program racing and and then packing the boat, getting ready for the next leg. So it's pretty uh, pretty intense. Pretty full on. Because I watched um, a little YouTube video of you on your Team Brunel boat this year. And there's times where you're in the dark and there's just water crashing all over the place. Oh, have you had experiences that make you kind of sit up and think, oh, blimey, that was a close call? Yeah. I, mean, I don't think the fear factor is a gender thing, really. I think it's just a... Uh, Either you you strive in those environments or you don't type thing. Um, so it's not a it's not a sport for everyone. I mean, it is. It can be grueling. The conditions are pretty horrendous. Um, <laughs> not only the sailing conditions, but the living conditions on board are, are extreme. Um, and that's something that yeah, people will either <laughs> enjoy and and you know reap the benefits from, or they'll absolutely hate it and will never do. <laughs> I think one incident where I think was the sort of scariest moment was during the Team SCA race. We had an incident where we'd effectively capsized the boat due to breaking a sail. The the boat's lying on its side, you know, the mast is in the water. And the boats carry so much weight in terms of ballast and the way we stack the boat with all the sails. And and all that weight was basically counted interacting against you know pulling us back up right so it had the opposite effect of pulling us over into the water and it and it was at night of course it always happens at night and cold water and yeah so it took us a long time to get the boat back up and it was obviously a fair amount of damage to our mainsail battens and uh, yeah I think it, that really shook everyone up and I think even myself I remember thinking this could either go really bad if the boat just keeps going, then I'm not sure we're all going to come through. Um, but I think, you know, the adrenaline kicks in and you you think of what has to happen to get out of this situation and just keep moving forward. 
Yeah. And um, you're a mother as well. So how do you balance, you know, nine months is a long time to be away from home. Do you, um, how do you find balancing motherhood and this sort of, I mean, incredibly intense professional sailing? Because this is kind of the upper echelons of the peak of ocean sailing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it, it, to be honest, it's a very difficult balance. And um, I'm not sure that I've done it particularly well. I think I'm lucky enough to have my husband who fully supports what I do uh, and a family behind us who have backed up when we need to. Um, but it's certainly, it's not easy. Um, I do feel like I live two lives during the race. It's you're kind of got your sailing head on at one point and, and you're fully focused on the boat because when you're at sea, you can't really drift. Uh, you know, your thoughts can't really drift to home because there's never a moment when you can really relax. There's always something going on. And even if you're sleeping in your bunk, you, you could be woken up at any moment for a, a maneuver or breakage or, or anything. Um, what I did enjoy about this race was to be able to go home during the stopovers and completely switch off from the boat and be able to, to spend time with my son and, and really reconnect. Um, it's hard to leave. I mean, it's heartbreaking when you have to leave and go back to work but it's but it is like leading two lives almost well I'm sure you're doing a fantastic job and giving him an amazing role model as a mother <laughs> so, um just on a slightly just on a slightly different note I just wanted to talk about the Magenta project so that was set up in the wake of after the team SCA Volvo Ocean race can you just tell us a little bit about how that came about and what its aims are what became apparent through the team SCA campaign was that there was a lot of support out there for uh, women in sailing um, for what we were achieving as a team but it was having a, a much greater impact um, than the sailing world you know there was there was people that were writing to us from all over the world just in full admiration of what we were doing um, telling us that we were inspiring them to do things and it was such a it felt like such a huge momentum at the end of that race and um, when we realized that we weren't going to have an opportunity to go again with with the same sponsor we thought we have to do something you know we can't let this momentum just hit a brick wall and that's the end of it um so we set up uh, the organization called the magenta project and with the idea of advancing women in the sport of sailing and through a number of ways i mean either by providing coaching clinics um using our expertise to pass on to others through speaking events, um, you know, inspiring others or motivational talks or, or whatever. Um, and also just trying to drive change through through the governing bodies of sport in terms of adjusting their rules to, to, to try and benefit a, a mixed crew scenario or um, really just trying to, to push the opportunities. So that's kind of it's in a nutshell. Um, it, it's a voluntary organization. So we're all, um, there's about five or six of us who, who are the core group um, that are really just trying to, to keep this momentum going and to, and to create these opportunities. We've really focused on, um, on women and we just, I mean, that's something that's obviously we are doing and we, we have either succeeded or had a number of hurdles ourselves to, to, to jump over to get to where we are and I think we 
it was important to use our experiences, you know, our um, our learnings, you know, and to really just to pass that on and to try and create a pathway for women from coming through uh, from a younger generation or coming out of the Olympic scene and just really trying to get into the professional end of the sport. Would it, it, there aren't obvious pathways. It's extremely hard to get opportunities on boats. It is a very male-dominated environment, and, and that's really what we were just trying to crack. So that that's our, our focus and our goal. As part of its work, the Magenta Project has a mentoring programme. Research published in the journal Nature shows that women who are mentored benefit in multiple different ways, but the largest improvement comes particularly in building self-confidence. I asked Abby about their mentoring program for women in sailing and how it's been going so far. To be honest, the the mentoring side has been quite informal so far. We we formalised it in um, August of this year, and we're going to run a, a pilot scheme for this year, which will um, mentees can apply and mentors can apply, and we would try to match um, people in terms of their needs, their requirements, and their location. Um, and it, they would then be matched with that mentor for about six months. Um, the idea being that they would probably make contact with each other once a month or if anything specific came up. Um, so the idea, it's not really hands-on coaching because that generally that's quite easy to, to attain through clubs or organizations. So this was more about, um, trying to give specific advice, um, how to, progress in certain areas or it might be business advice in terms of professional sailing or yeah a whole it could be a, a range of topics so yeah cool and what about you have you had people who've kind of mentored you along the way or you know have you have you been well supported in your career so far I guess no one stands out as being a formal mentor but it's definitely been people that have come into your career that have certainly helped you to get up that ladder or people that you've you've looked up to and said I really like what that person's doing I'm gonna take a leaf out of their book type thing so um and no I don't think it has been anything formal and especially not in in sailing so far so it's really nice to have something now that's out there it's great that you guys are kind of you guys are breaking the mold on that one and and setting the example of having a a formal mentoring system that people can tap into because that sort of expertise of having a person who you can speak to about your goals and be accountable to and that sort of thing is just really invaluable when you're pursuing that kind of career path I think it's something that has worked exceptionally well in the corporate world or the business world so it's, it's great to sort of take from that and to use it in something that would benefit our sport so fingers crossed <laughs> fingers crossed and if people are you know interested having you know I was encourage people to go and have a little look on YouTube for there's lots of videos of Abby sailing and it does look quite amazing um <laughs> if people are really interested in like ocean racing what would you recommend has been the kind of way for people to get into that or look into it mm, that's a hard one and that's one of the areas that it it is exceptionally hard to get in it it's it's hard to gain the experience and, and sailing is a sport that rewards experience. And so I think my biggest piece of advice to anyone is to take any opportunity to get out on the water and sail. It doesn't matter what boat, what sort of crew, you know, you can guarantee that every time you go out, you will learn something and that will just add another um, line to your, to your book. So get out on the water in anything. Um, in terms of getting 
big boat racing or, or even offshore racing, there are a few organisations that offer areas where you can gain that experience. Um, the RYA, which is the governing body of the sport in the UK, for example, run a keelboat academy for younger people to get in. And so I think that would be step one, just try and get as many hours, miles as you can out in the water. I asked Abby next about the future of yacht racing and what lies ahead for women in the sport. Um, so the next Volvo race has been announced as being in the year 2021. And uh, there will be two styles of boat. There'll be the 65 um, footer, which we have just completed the race on. And there will be a new Imoka 60, which is a boat they currently use in the Vendée Globe. Um, so it's a very technical boat, very uh, high performance. They haven't quite announced um, the rules. In uh, It's you know quite recently that they've announced that the, the race will take place in these boats. And I think... Um, with regards to the crew, I think despite um, any shortcomings in the mixed gender rules that we saw in, in the last race, I think it's going to be dreadfully important that the, the rule stays in place for the future to ensure that women are in the race because without it, it will remain um, a, a male-dominated space. And I think we're, we're just on that sort of initial ledge of making a difference and and building experience and building a, a critical mass of of professional female sailors and so i think it will be so important that the rule stays for another few additions at least just to continue to build it'll be interesting to see what happens with that actually won't it that if you've had a a groundbreaking time in the 2017-18 race and there's sort of things have kicked off with having women on board you know and then if they were to take that back it would seem like a massively retrograde step it will be it would be a huge step back to 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 remove that rule um i think there are there are very mixed opinions about um the 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 60 footer which is obviously a, a much more high performance boat um i i my my view is that the guys will definitely not want to have a rule placed on that boat Okay, that's interesting. Why is that? I think they see it as their third domain, you know, or perhaps it's just <laughs> the <laughs> I maybe that you know that in their opinion there is not enough um, skilled women to sort of add or to bring value to the team. Um, again, I I think it's just maybe a little bit of threat in their environment or, or what have you, but I think it's just you know it, the culture needs to change and it will take time but as with anything that we've seen and um, in terms of the corporate world and and other areas diversity has a huge amount of benefits and I think it's just being able to see these benefits and and to use diversity to its to its advantages. Mm. Gosh Abby I have to say I didn't realize um, how much quite of an uphill battle it was as that as what you've you've described what it sounds like from what you're saying that it's um it's just difficult really difficult isn't it yeah it, it has been extremely difficult and I I, I just um I, I think there's a, a quite a few guys in the sport who obviously have been there for a long time and um I think one of the, the biggest issues is that we don't have that critical mass of women in professional sailing. When, for example, you've you've trialled um, a girl and 
maybe she doesn't fit the bill because her skills aren't right, the character's not right, or, you know, any number of factors. There are not a hundred other girls behind her of which to choose from. And whereas the guys, there are. There are there are a plethora of of young talent. Um and so that's what we're lacking. And and I think what's happened is the guys have viewed that girl that they've they've taken with them as Oh, she she didn't work because she was a girl. When in fact, I don't believe the reason why it hasn't worked out was gender specific. I think it was just really we we don't have that that critical mass to choose from, and and you're you're almost forced into a corner of of who you can select. Um, so this is kind of the the barrier to get over is you you've got to get the experience, you know, to to build your experience, and the only way to do to, to create these opportunities so I think hence why it's important that the rule stays in place and um yeah that's interesting actually because if they had a rubbish guy they'd just say oh he's rubbish whereas they say if they have a girl that that they don't get on with they say oh it's because she's a girl I, that's quite an interesting way of um of looking at things actually um just one final question what is it about sailing that um that you love the most that kind of keeps you motivated day by day like is there one you know one or two things that kind of you could just say this is what does it for me. I think it, it's a very different sport because you're out either battling against or working with the, the elements. Um, and it, it's, it really takes you away from anything else. I think if you imagine like you go and play a game of golf, you can still be thinking about, oh, what are we going to have for dinner or your phone might ring. But I think once you're at sea, it's, it's um, a unique environment. You, you're just completely out there <laughs> in Mother Nature's world. And um, it, it's all about using the elements to make the boat go as fast as you can. And I just find that it's just a very rewarding experience being, being out at sea. Big thanks to Abby for giving such a fascinating insight into her career and the sport that she loves. I say it time and again on this podcast that I love sport and I'm passionate about seeing women succeed in sport. But ocean racing is one that hadn't really flagged on my radar, despite a lifetime of messing about on boats and a love of the sea. It's really interesting to hear about the challenges that face the sport, the entrenched difficulties and what sailing is doing to try and address these issues. We'll wait to see what happens in the next few months. That's all for this time and thanks for joining us. I'm already really excited about next week's guest, Elaine Miller, who, if you're inspired by weird and wonderful careers, certainly has one of those. She is a pelvic floor physiotherapist with an award-winning sideline in comedy. Yes, she dresses as a vulva on stage at Edinburgh. If you've had a baby or are thinking about having one, then this is essential listening. You've been listening to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. Please subscribe if you haven't already and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favourite podcast site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word, as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling and on Instagram at Smashing The Ceiling. And we'll hopefully see you next time. <laughs>